They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when, Je- when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and, the, and in the country, and people came to see, it, see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And he was getting into the boat. The man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. You may be seated. Good morning. I'm Stephen, one of the pastors elders here at Trinity. It's an honor and privilege to study God's Word with you this morning. So happy New Year's Eve. Happy New Year. We are about 13 hours away from the new year, and I bet you some of you are just waiting to get out of this year and into the next. And and maybe some of you are like, no, I want to stay in this year. I want to encourage you this morning to think about all that Jesus has done for you in this past year. Reflect back on how much you've grown in Christ, how God has changed you, and the sin that you've been able to overcome. And whether you know it or not, there is spiritual warfare happening all around us. Because you have a story to tell, about God's mercy in your life, Satan and his demons do not want you to share all that God has done for you and how God has had mercy on you. Your testimony is good news. It's good news. And there are people who are waiting to hear it. There are people all around us who have no hope and are waiting for someone like you 
to give them a hopeful message. And my prayer for us this morning is that we will share with others what God has done for us and how God has had mercy on us so that people will be amazed and they will marvel at what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. So think about the hopeful message that you will give to someone next year, maybe even tomorrow. Begin to think about that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful morning. We thank you for all that you provide. We thank you for Jesus. For apart from him, we can do nothing. Help me, Jesus, to feed your people, to love your people. Open our hearts that we may hear from you this morning. We love you. We praise you. We ask all these things in the mighty name of King Jesus. In his name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Are you ready to receive this morning's message with great eagerness? And to examine the scriptures to see if what I'm saying is true? Yes. So we're taking a break from the book of John this morning, like Elliot said. We'll just take a one-week break. I'm going to share an account of Jesus' authority over the demonic realm from the Gospel of Mark. It's a record of a man once possessed by thousands of demons. And this story was meant to be told for all people to hear so that those who believe in and follow Jesus may be set free from the bondage of slavery to sin. And if you're not there yet, please turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We are in the part of Mark's Gospel where Jesus' messianic power and authority is on full display. At the very end of chapter 4, Jesus demonstrates his authority over nature. The section that follows this morning's passage highlights Jesus' authority over disease, and in particular, a disease that was present in a woman for more than 12 years. And chapter 5 concludes with Jesus' power and authority over death. Mark wants us to know about this Jesus who saves his people from their sins. And this account of the demon-possessed man can be split into three sections, three parts. In verses 1 through 5, we'll see that the demonic realm is real, and it's powerful, and it's destructive. In verses 6 through 13, we'll notice that demons, they're no match for King Jesus. And in verses 14 through 20, we'll touch on an encounter, how an encounter with Jesus demands a response. So believe in the destructive power and influence of demons in verses 1 through 5. Let me say this first. When it comes to the topic of spiritual warfare, there are two extremes that we might fall into. One extreme is to not believe in or to be unaware 
that there is a spiritual battle for the residents of our souls. The other extreme is to believe that Satan and his demons are the cause of every disease, of every disaster, and of every bad deed. So we need a balanced approach. We need to be aware that spiritual warfare is indeed real, but not live in fear of the destructive influence of demons. So believe in the power and influence of demons. So in narratives, which this section is, the setting is important. Where are we at? What are the surroundings? So behind me, Jesus and his disciples have traveled by boat from most likely Capernaum to the territory of the Gerasenes. The area shaded in green is predominantly the Jewish region, and the yellowish tan area is Gentile territory. So from a Jewish perspective, the Gentiles were often seen as pagans who didn't know the one and true living God. And we also know that this territory is mostly Gentile because of the large herd of pigs that we'll see later in this passage. We know that pigs are unclean animals according to Old Testament law. So let's dive in. Verse 1, Mark 5. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. They, Jesus and his disciples, are on a mission to spread the good news of salvation, not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. Verse 2, and when he, when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him a man out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. A few verses earlier, we were told that there was a great calm. Chapter 4, the end of chapter 4. So we have a nice, calm, and peaceful sea because Jesus told the sea to be still. Jesus had authority over nature. And the disciples were chatting among one another. Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? They are amazed at the power and authority of Jesus. And now we have Jesus stepping out of the boat into Gentile territory. And immediately, this is one of Mark's go-to words, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean, with an evil, impure, a foul spirit. We were coming from a scene where, where nature has just been stilled, the wind and the sea. It was in chaos before Jesus told it to be still. And now we are entering a scene where a man's soul is experiencing a different kind of chaos. There is a tornado of evil within this man. Are you beginning to feel the tension in this scene? We are told in the book of Genesis that God created man and woman in his image and that it was very good. Mankind was the pinnacle of God's creation. And now we encounter a scene where a man is, who is made in the image of God is unclean. He has an evil spirit. Not good. 
Luke's account of this story says the demon-possessed man is running around naked. We have a man approaching Jesus, coming from the tombs, and he confronts Jesus. Tension. The music sets in. Dramatic. We can sense conflict about to take place. We're on the edge of our seats. What's going to happen next? But first, (laughs) there's a pause in the story. Mark gives us a behind-the-scenes look at what kind of life this demoniac lives. It's as if Mark is saying, wait a second, just in case you haven't caught on to the hopelessness of this dire and dreadful situation, let me go a little deeper into the description of this man's miserable condition. So the next three verses give us a long and gruesome description of this man's heartbreaking condition, his heartbreaking state. First in verse 3, we see that he lived among the tombs, the graves, the cemetery, where people don't go late at night unless they're up to something shady. This is an unclean scene. If you touch someone who is dead, you were considered unclean. In the book of Numbers, we read Numbers 19, 16, whoever in the open field touches someone who was killed with a sword or who died naturally or touches a human bone or a grave shall be unclean. Continuing in verse 3, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had strength to subdue him. Did you notice that no one had, could bind him anymore? People had tried to wrap this man in chains. His hands were covered in chains, handcuffed. His feet were fettered, shackled. Imagine someone in a straight jacket. That's that white jacket where you put into a mental institution and they'd cover you with it so you can't move, you can't hurt yourself, you can't hurt others. But this straight jacket is in chains. This man's out of control. He was a danger to himself and others. At one time, he might have been manageable to deal with. It sounds like people were trying to help him to some degree. But eventually they gave up on him. And now he is completely overtaken and captive to an unclean spirit. And Matthew's account of the demoniac tells us that he was so fierce that no one could pass that way. This guy breaks chains in pieces. He's exceptionally strong and violent. It's like trying to tie up the Incredible Hulk with dental floss. Nothing's going to restrain his rage. This man can't help himself, and no one is willing to help him. Mark wants us to feel the hopelessness of this man's situation. He desperately needs an intervention, and not someone with a doctorate in medicine, 
Sorry, I know we got doctors in the house. You're not going to be able to help this guy. Nor a professional psychologist. Nor someone with extra human strength or wisdom. But someone who is otherworldly. Someone who can miraculously break chains with a word from his mouth. Verse 5, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, on the hillside, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Night and day, all the time, he was always crying out, always shouting out, always calling out. Imagine pitch black darkness at night. No lights. You can't even see your hand in front of your face. By the way, a little insight into me, I do not like the dark. I have little night lights all over my house. I don't like the dark. Don't, don't make me go out into the middle of the woods with no lights. I will not go. Day and night, this man is hollering and screeching at the top of his lungs, cutting himself with stones. And maybe he was trying to rid himself of the inner turmoil. The other chaos raging in his body. Maybe it was the only way he could find feeling and be at rest. Maybe the whispers of the demons within were accusing him and lying to him about his situation. No one can save you. You are worthless. You should be ashamed. We know that Satan We know that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the demons are destroying every ounce of humanity in this man. The demons are trying to warp and distort the image of God in this man. And we know that Satan and his demons want nothing other than to accuse us before God. To deceive us into believing that we are not worthy to be in his presence. Pause for just a moment. Have you felt like this man? Have you felt like this man in some way you can relate to the inner struggle of this man possessed by a demon? You felt suffocated by anxiety. You feel as if you can't breathe. You feel paralyzed. You're wanting to be set free so that you can take a deep breath and experience a peace that surpasses understanding. Maybe you're overcome by bad news of a sickness that has overtaken your body and you are just looking for one sliver of good news. Maybe you're being tortured by thoughts that you are a failure, that no one likes you, that you're not enough. And you're looking for confirmation that you indeed do matter. That you indeed are enough. You feel lonely. Like you've been abandoned. No one is listening to your cries for help. And you desire to be listened to. To be loved. To be held. I'll say it again. There's a secret addiction to sexual sin, drugs, or alcohol enslave you? And do you desire to be a servant of Christ rather than a slave to sin? 
There are some things that we fall enslaved to because of our own sinful desires. And it's not necessarily Satan or unclean spirits tempting us or hounding us. It might be that our spiritual disciplines need sharpening. We probably manage our time better, say no to things, have more accountability. We could come to God daily with a humble and repentant heart. If we feel captive and want to experience freedom from the burden of sin, we are commanded to believe that Jesus has come to set us free from our bondage to sin. Believe that Jesus has come to set you free from slavery to sin. Sorry, that was just the first five verses. These are verses 6 through 13. I'm going to have to take you back to verse 2 for a second. And when he, Jesus, had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. So Mark is catching us up where he left off before describing to us the man's situation. So the tension is rising. The music gets even more dramatic. Verse 6, and when he, when the man with an unclean spirit saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. The demoniac recognizes Jesus from afar. It's as if he can sense, can feel the divine presence of God coming closer. And he ran toward Jesus to confront Jesus, to plead with Jesus. He fell before Jesus. He falls in submission before Jesus. Verse 7, and crying out with a loud, intense voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus? Son of the Most High God, Son of the Highest God, I adjure you, I command you, by God, do not torment me. This man knows exactly who Jesus is and is deathly afraid of Jesus. And he is fully aware of Jesus' authority over Satan in the demonic realm. Amen. The demoniac is saying, what business do you have to do with me? Matthew's gospel records that the demoniac says, have you come here to torment us before the time? The unclean spirit knows an appointed time of judgment is coming, that their end is near, but not just yet. And isn't it ironic that the unclean spirit asks Jesus not to torment him? Although this unclean spirit has been tormenting a man day and night, And verse 8 gives us a flashback in the narrative. For he, Jesus, was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus had already commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Hence the demon's loud response, What have you to do with me, Jesus? Tension rising. Music is going high and low. What's going to happen next? Verse 9. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Up to this point in the narrative, the unclean spirit has been referred to as a single 
unclean spirit. And here we find out that there is more than one unclean spirit inhabiting this man. The unclean spirit reveals that his name is Legion because there are many unclean spirits within him. And how many is a legion? A Roman legion contained up to 6,000 soldiers. So a legion here indicates a very large number. I I was trying to find a slide of more than 2,000 soldiers. I found a slide of about 700 soldiers. So imagine this times three, 2,000 soldiers, up to 6,000 soldiers. Imagine this scene, the tension in the story at its highest. We see that the demoniac is rightly afraid and trembling at the sight of Jesus. And we see Jesus with supreme confidence and composure. I think the younger say he's got ice in the veins. We are at the climax of the story, the peak. Jesus and at least a couple of thousand demons face to face. But this is no match for King Jesus. This would be like an ant, a little ant, facing off in war against a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Imagine that scene. Legion, knowing that he has zero authority over King Jesus, now wants to play, let's make a deal. Verse 10. And he, Legion, begged him, Jesus, earnestly not to send them out of the country. Legion is pleading with Jesus. He knows that Jesus is in control. It is Jesus, not Legion, who has the authority. The disciples are looking on. They already know that Jesus is Lord of nature, and they're about to discover that Jesus is also Lord over the demons over the whole demonic realm. Verses 11 and 12, Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs! Let us enter them! The demons are desperate. The unclean spirits want to host. They don't want to host like a party. They need someone to go into. They want to stay in the region to wreak havoc and destroy whatever they can. Verse 13, so he, Jesus, gave them permission. Jesus gave them permission. Don't miss this. The demons need permission to enter the pigs. They can't do anything apart from Jesus allowing them to do it. Martin Luther, Satan is on a leash. God has Satan on a leash. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. And if you're wondering more about the pigs, I just don't have enough time to discuss all what's happening with the pigs. We We can chat later after service. Anyway, going down, drowning in the sea, this is actually a steep slope near Gergesa where where this situation might have happened. So the tension in the account is now, it's now settling. There's calm coming over the land. Here 
is where we are given more insight into the extent of evil that was tormenting this man. There was about 2,000 pigs, 2,000 demons inside this man. Imagine the peace that this man felt in that moment. His mind at complete peace. No noise. His, he feels weightless in his heart. As he watches all of those pigs rush down the steep bank. And I was thinking what this scene might have looked like. The amount of squealing and some pigs crowd surfing, just tumbling on top of one another. Pigs bouncing on the backs of other pigs <clears throat> as they rush down the, the steep bank. Could you see this man, <clears throat> excuse me, could you see this man sitting beside Jesus? Now set free, smiling at each other. Maybe the man is even laughing like, whoa, look at all those demons that were once inside me. Can you imagine a different kind of music playing in the background, like a joyful, peaceful music? And what kind of response should Jesus receive for setting this man free? You think people would respond with humble gratitude and throw him a big party? Maybe nominate Jesus to be the great physician of the region? No. Instead, we see that some people respond with an attitude that rejects Jesus. And we're going to see that an encounter with Jesus demands a response in verses 14 through 20. And an encounter with Jesus demands a response. Don't respond to Jesus with fear that leads to rejection. We're going to see this in 14 through 17, verse 14. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. How could one not go and tell what had just happened? Because this kind of news travels fast, right? Such a miracle might sound unbelievable. You'd have to see this with your own eyes. And imagine the herdsmen pointing out Jesus. Jesus, it was that man who sent the pigs into the sea. Verse 15, and they, the townspeople, came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. This same man who was once naked, running around in the middle of the night, crying out, cutting himself with stones, was still and calm, as still and calm as the water in the sea. He was clothed. Maybe Jesus gave him a cloak to wear, a cloak of righteousness. And we see that he is in his right mind. Amen. A response that is afraid, fearful, and alarmed is not the most unusual response to a scene like this, right? Like how the disciples were afraid when Jesus calmed the sea and wondered, who then is this? 
But the townspeople don't bow down in humble adoration and worship. They don't see that there's been someone who's been set free. Instead, the fear of Jesus overtakes them, and they choose to reject Jesus. Verses 16 and 17, And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Maybe the villagers weren't ready for the demoniac to be set free. Maybe they got used to going about their daily routines. They were used to the sound of a man crying out for help, that nothing could be done to help him. And this should cause us, you and I, to examine how we judge others. If there is someone you know who comes to be known by Jesus, Celebrate with them. Encourage them. You know when someone begins to follow Jesus, they begin to have new affections. Their language changes. They are no longer captivated captivated by the things of this world. They are captivated by Christ and his righteousness. They have a different attitude with their relationship with money. They're consumed with heavenly things. They want to talk about Jesus. They want to love God. They want to love others. They want to tell others about Jesus. And in this story, we see the most tragic thing happen with the townspeople who encounter Jesus. They beg him to leave. Why would someone not want Jesus, when things are too comfortable, we don't want Jesus to come into our lives, to to shake things up, to make things uncomfortable. I have a friend who always reminds me, stay uncomfortable. Don't go to the lazy boy recliner. And Peter reminds us, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. When we drop our guard, Satan will sucker punch us when we least expect it. And we we can see how it could be understandable for people to be afraid of the power of Jesus. What would Jesus require of them? What would Jesus get rid of in their lives? What would Jesus make them do? Maybe they had not experienced the mercy of God, the goodness of God, his compassion, his gentleness, how he gently deals with those who have heavy burdens, how he gives rest to those who are weary. And the demons feared Jesus because of his divine power and authority over them. Just in case we forgot, James 2.19, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. The demons believed. And think of all that we know about Jesus, his power, his gentleness, 
his mercy, his love. How much more should our faith increase if we know the power and authority of Jesus and we also know of his great love and mercy toward us sinners? We have to believe that Satan and his demons will attack us because of the great love that God has for us in Christ. Paul reminds us in Ephesians 6, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And how do we protect ourselves from the attacks of Satan and his demons? We put on the whole armor of God. We fasten up that belt of truth. We put away falsehood. We speak the truth in love. We confess our sins to God and to one another. We put on that breastplate of righteousness. We boldly, courageously put on the righteousness of Jesus. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. And we stand in the righteousness of God, not our own righteousness. We tie those shoes of gospel peace. We bear with one another in love. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We carry that shield of faith. When the battle rages us, against us, we drive in closer to Jesus. And we approach the throne of grace with confidence. And we believe we will receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. We throw in that helmet of salvation. We fill our mind with heavenly things, not the things of this world. We resist sexual immorality and crude joking. We take that sword of the Spirit, God's Word. We attack Satan with the Word of God. When Satan lies to us, we meditate on God's word and we let it fill our hearts and minds with the truth. And finally, we pray at all times in the spirit. The music has slowed way down. The tension is still there, but it's dropped dramatically. And we see that the sea in the background is calm and still. And this is where we should consider if we are like the townspeople who have no need for Jesus, or if we are more like the man once possessed by a legion of demons who needs all of King Jesus. So in contrast to the response of fear that rejects Jesus, this man begs to be with Jesus. We respond to Jesus with humility, gratitude, worship, and obedience. Verse 18 And as he, Jesus, was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. The once demon-possessed man experienced the compassion, grace, love, and mercy of God, so he begged to be with Jesus. He saw that Jesus was marvelous, magnanimous, and magnificent. He saw that Jesus breaks the chains of bondage to sin. And this might be why it's never recorded in the Bible that Jesus wore jewelry. 
because he breaks every chain. That was from Maddie Viedmark. Thank you, Maddie. Isn't it the greatest feeling when you are forgiven? When someone forgives you? Sin ties us up. It chains us up. It demands that we bow to it. And when we confess that none other than Jesus can free us from that bondage and break those chains, we feel the weight of the world has been lifted off of our chests. It almost feels like you can fly. The infinitely pure, holy, and sinless Jesus, fully God and fully man, healed the most impure, unholy, defiled, foul, and unclean, demon-possessed man. Pure holiness meets pure wretchedness. This man, now clothed with the righteousness of Jesus, wants to follow Jesus wherever he goes. But Jesus has other plans for this man. Verse 19, And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home and tell your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. That begs the question, why didn't Jesus let him come with them? Maybe there wasn't any more room in the boat. The text doesn't tell us. But Jesus does not leave this man without a call in his life. Verse 20, and he And this man who is now a follower of Jesus went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Amen. What a beautiful ending. What a beautiful ending. This man, once seen as hopeless to his community, could now proclaim to all the cities in the Decapolis that Jesus Christ gives hope to those without hope. What a story this man had to tell others. I was lost. I had no hope. Let me tell you about this Jesus who come, who came to the shore to set me free. There were 2,000 pigs, and all of a sudden I was at peace. I can't explain it to you. You have to meet this Jesus. Wouldn't that make you want to hear this man's story? Like we heard last week with the woman at the well, Many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Think about your own testimony for a minute. You have a testimony. You have a testimony. And I hear from a lot of people who grew up in the church that the testimony is boring. That their testimonies are boring. That they don't have a testimony like a demon-possessed man. Your testimonies are not boring. If anyone tells you that your testimony is boring, it's a lie. You've been saved. You've been set free from the bondage of sin. Think of all that Jesus has done for you. How he has shown you mercy. Tell others how gracious and merciful God has been to you and your family how he has kept you from wandering away from him, how he holds you fast, how you were created in the image of God, how you were once lost and enslaved to sin, 
how you have repented of your sins and how you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins to set you free from sin, how you believe that Jesus was buried and raised from the dead, how you believe that Jesus ascended to heaven and intercedes for you and will soon return to judge the living and the dead. And for those of you who do not know Jesus, respond to Jesus with humility. Repent of your sins and confess that Jesus is Lord. And for those who believe in and follow Jesus, be encouraged, little children. You are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And here's the big idea. Because Jesus has authority over demons, your testimony cannot be thwarted. Because Jesus has authority over demons, your testimony cannot be thwarted. Let us pray.